appreciate that. Our text will be Luke chapter 24, begin with verse 46. I'll also look in Acts chapter 20 and verse 21. Now, while you're looking up Luke uh, 24, let me just say, if you have a cell phone, uh, either put it on airplane mode, silent, dig down in your purse for five minutes and find it, and bring it out to it now, okay? And, and then uh, also, uh, make sure that uh, if you don't know how to put it on silent or how to put it on uh, airplane mode, just turn it off, okay? Uh, and and I say that... Uh, just because I believe that the message I have to deliver to you today is so very important for everyone. And I would hate for anything that might interrupt with that. And so I, I hope that you'll honor that today and would surely appreciate it if you will. And also, I always add 10 minutes to a sermon if one goes off, okay? So just so you know that, and that food will be getting cold. It'll be your fault, and all right. And I'll tell everybody, yeah, it was his phone, all right, and, and so they'll come after you. All right, okay. Uh, first of all, we're going to look at Luke chapter 24. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to start in verse 44 because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and he's going to be ascending up into heaven very shortly. But now he, before he does that, he sits here, and this is his last conversation, so to speak, and it's an extended time, but he talks with the apostles, telling them what he wants. This is the last instructions before he leaves earth. It's very important. And so he says there in verse 44, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the psalms concerning me. Moses, the prophets, the, the psalms, that's all the Old Testament he's talking about. And he taught the apostles all about that, that it was teaching of Jesus, of what he would do for them. All the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ, by the way. And, and <clears throat> it's always looking ahead. It anticipates we look back at what Jesus did for us. Then he goes on in the next verse. He says, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Okay, these apostles had to be taught and then understand what they were taught. How many went through biology class and you were taught? You have no idea what you were taught. Okay, you didn't understand. And, and well, that is simply the same thing here when you look at these apostles. They've been around Jesus three and a half years, heard his teaching. Now he opens their understanding to be able to grasp and, with, and to hold onto everything that he's taught them. And then he says in verse uh, 46, And, and, and uh, said unto them, Thus it is written, And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. It was important that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That was of utmost importance. But it was just important that he raised from the dead the third day. The penalty not only paid for our sin, but also to provide a way to heaven. That's why he had to become a man. And so he became a man that he might die for our sin, but then he rose from the dead, and that therefore Revelation 1.18 says that he has the keys of hell and of death. Jesus 
paid it all, and all to him we owe. And so that's the idea there. But then he says, after saying what he's done, now here is the assignment. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now, there's also Acts chapter 20 and verse 21, where it says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, this morning, we want to walk these people through just the way of salvation because eternity is forever. And a man spends eternity in heaven or in hell. There's no in-between. So I pray, Father, that you would make this clear, much more clear than I can. And I pray that you would open the understanding, just like you did with these apostles, open their understanding. So that there's one here today that does not know if they died today that heaven's their home. Or maybe they're deceived and thinking, I'm all right, when really they're not saved. I pray that today would be that day they come to receive Christ as Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. That's good for 30 minutes, okay? Have one drink of water. All right, now, <clears throat> there are things that you don't want to hear or trust. And that was titled the message today, Feelings or Truth. You can have feelings, and your feelings can be wrong. Uh, for an example, you can go to a doctor, and the doctor says, you have to have heart surgery. Maybe you've got to have a triple bypass. And so he tells you that you need that. He shows you the x-rays. Everything shows that you need this. And so you arrive at the hospital, and there's a surgeon there that's going to do the surgery. And he introduces himself to you, and he says, I'm so glad. I'm excited about this today, as a matter of fact, because this is going to be the first time I ever did this surgery. <laughs> now, He's been through all kinds of college and all kinds of training, and he's been there on those kind of surgeries, but he wasn't the main guy. This is his first one. But he doesn't have that position if those that put him in that position were not comfortable. He can do it, but your feelings say, no way. You get on a flight. <clears throat> You're up 30,000 feet in the air. And the captain comes on and he says, this is the pilot speaking. Pray for me. I've crashed the simulator three times this week. I get these headaches and I black out and I'm out for 30 minutes. Somehow or another, you're just not going to have a lot of confidence. Now, in that case though, you have feelings, but really... The truth of the matter is that whether it's the surgeon or the pilot, especially the pilot in this case, it's more than a feeling. It's what he has said that may have some truth in it that you lose confidence in that person. You can't trust, although they have license and so forth and those things, you have the idea that there is uh, truth that says, you better pray a whole lot on this flight, okay? 
You're not trusting that guy, but you have a right to have that feeling. But still, a feeling doesn't determine truth. Truth stands by itself, and our feelings should come from truth. I say that to say this. Why would a person trust their eternity on feelings? Sentimental thoughts, philosophies, are not reasons for faith that you're going to go to heaven without knowledge of the real truth of God. Faith should not be blind. Rather, it should have a good reason out of written truth by which you would trust your eternity that you'll live forever and your spirit will live forever. It's either going to be in heaven or hell, but you're going to live forever, that spirit. But if you want it to be with the Lord, if you want it to be in heaven instead of hell, then you need more than a feeling. You need the truth that comes from God who determines heaven or hell for you. So that's why I want to just take some scriptures today and, and just walk through them that you might see the way of salvation because men today have a habit of saying there are many roads to heaven. That sounds sentimental, but that's not the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. There are not many roads to heaven. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. That is saved from the penalty as well as from the uh, result of your sin, the penalty of your sin, being saved from that and being given eternal life. That salvation is only through Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at our text, we, I want to first consider Acts chapter 20 and verse 21. Because these apostles, of which now speaking of Paul, who was also an apostle, they went forward with this command, this commission that God gave, that Christ gave at the end of his ministry, after his resurrection, just before he ascends up into heaven, this is what he says. Go into all the world and teach them this. And there he says, repentance towards God. Why repentance towards God? Because all sin is against God. Now, if I were to break into your home, I knew you weren't there, and I break into your home, and I steal something very valuable, you say, well, that's against you. That's a, you'd say that's a sin, and it's against you, and that's true. But really, the sin is against God. It's against God. Romans 3.23 says it this way, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Romans 3.10 said, There's none righteous, no, not one. And by the way, all have sinned in the Bible that was written originally in Greek in the New Testament. It means we continually sin and come short of the glory of God. Now, well, you have to determine what is the glory of God. What Jesus in his high priestly prayer said, Father, when I return, I want to share that glory 
with you that I shared with you before I came. Now, that's not the exact words, but that's what it meant. I want to share back in the glory that I had with you before I came. The glory of God is Jesus Christ, His Son. Jesus was God come in the flesh. Now, as a spirit, He always existed in eternity past. He was a spirit, the Son of God in spirit. But when He came to this earth, He became both the Son of Man and the Son of God in human flesh. So it's faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ, repentance towards God, and faith towards Christ. This speaks of the death, burial, and resurrection. For Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin, which we've all did, it, it doesn't say that great big sin, all oh, this really bad sin. No, it says for the wages of sin. didn't even say a lot of sin. For the wages of sin is death. That's final, complete separation from God forever in the lake of fire. Every one of us are guilty of sin. Therefore, every one of us deserve to go to that lake of fire where a person is separated from God forever, tormented day and night, not able to uh, cease to exist and not able to escape. That's what it is. And yet, it can be missed. It can be, uh, you can be saved from it by faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ that His death, burial, and resurrection, in His death and shedding His blood, He paid for every sin you ever have or ever will commit. And then He rose from the dead. He had victory over hell and death. Revelation 1.18 says. So again, he paid the penalty for every sin you ever have committed. As a matter of fact, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it says, He is the propitiation. That means the entire payment. The entire payment. He is the propitiation for our sins. But not for our sins only. He says, but for the sins of the whole world. Faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> it's interesting that he says, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord speaks of his deity. He was God from eternity past. Jesus speaks of his humanity. He came here to die for our sins. Christ means anointed. That same thing as the word Messiah. It means the anointed one. He was the anointed one. Just like in the Old Testament, a lamb had to be inspected to be without spot or any such thing before it could be offered on an altar because it had to pass inspection. It had to be without spot or anything. Because that lamb pointed to the day that Jesus Christ would die on the cross for our sin. And so Jesus was the anointed one, the Christ, who was sinless, who died for us. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, when we go to Luke chapter 24, verse 46 and 47, he says again, And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. 
Jesus told the disciples, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go throughout the whole world. And first was the faith part. Trusting that his death, burial, and resurrection indeed was for you as well for all men. He was your substitute. That's what he wanted them to preach. Jesus paid it all. He paid for whatever the demand of the ultimate holiness of God demanded. And it was death. It was separation from God forever. Unless an equal payment was made. Now, you and I don't determine what is an equal payment. For an example, I back up a car. I run over a three-year-old. Maybe it's your grandchild. Maybe it's a child, your own child. I run over the child. I'm brokenhearted about it. And I have a dog. I say, look, my dog is three years old. Go ahead and kill my dog and we'll be even. Uh, wait a minute. A dog's not even to my child. Now, just because I say we're even doesn't make it even. Doesn't make it even at all. Just because a person dies and says, okay, I'm going to die for everybody. Go ahead and kill me, God. No. It had to be a righteous sacrifice. Equal. Sin on one side, the holiness on, of God on the other side, and there was only one holy sacrifice. That was Jesus Christ. Paying the penalty for our sin. God demanded... And Jesus paid it all. And so we read in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, Lord, his deity, Jesus, his humanity, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Repentance towards God. As we said, all sin is against God. Therefore, every person born into this world is guilty before God because we inherit a sin nature. The only righteousness that makes us acceptable to God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we must come to Him in repentance of sin and faith towards the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. It is then a matter of trusting God. It's taking Him at His word. Hebrews chapter 6 says that God cannot lie. So, the question is, do you really trust God about eternity? Because I'm giving you the truth of God's word. It's not a sentiment. It's not a philosophy, so don't expect it to be a feeling. It's acting on the truth. I gave you an illustration at the beginning of a patient being in with the doctor and showing him all these things that show him that he needs the heart surgery. There's no doubt his act 
is going to be on the truth of what it shows. His feelings may be fear. But truth has to overcome fear to have the surgery that will correct his problem. So many times people are afraid of what others will think if I get saved instead of saying, oh, wait, I need to be saved. doesn't matter what other people think. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. It's whatever God says. God cannot lie. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So, the Word is God and made all things. Verse 10 of John 1. He was in the world. And the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Just because the world didn't know him, didn't change the fact that he made the world. So he's the word, he's the creator, he's God. Whoever the word is, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The Word. It was after the resurrection that Jesus gave the instruction in our text. It was for all saved people to carry out this instruction. To take this message to a lost and dying world. Calling them to repentance and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means a Christian has responsibility, but it also means there's a responsibility when you hear this to either react to God or reject God. It's one of the two. The Bible said his name is Emmanuel. What does that mean? What well, tells us? We don't have to think about it. In Matthew 1.23, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which been interpreted is God with us. So we don't have to wonder, is that the definition? The Bible tells us it's the definition. God with us. Now I say all that to say this. Jesus and God are either the biggest liars ever, or you need to understand you need to be saved. There's no in between. It's one way or the other. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, <coughs> excuse me, it reads this way. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The Bible says God is the Spirit, John chapter 4, verse 24. He knows your spirit and He knows your heart better than you know. He's known every thought you've ever had. He knows the very intentions that you have in your heart, good or bad. He's known it all. And when you appear at the judgment before God, understand if you're without Christ, 
Every bit of that that was paid for on the cross will come up because you rejected the payment. All things are open. All things are clearly visible to his eyes, even the thoughts of your heart. We need to consider where do we stand with the Lord in eternity? But we also need to consider what is repentance and faith. See, a lot of you have been said, well, hey, you say this prayer and you'll be all right. Others said, uh, well, look, if you get baptized, you're fine. Do the best you can. And look at some of those other people. Blaine, you're a lot better than those other people. Oh, he'll weigh your good against your bad and you'll be all right. Some say, well, I feel that God will take me to heaven. It doesn't matter how you feel, and it doesn't matter what people say. It's what saith the Lord. He's the judge. It's his book. Look, James chapter 2, verse 19 says it this way. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Those devils aren't going to be in heaven. But they believe, they know that this is true. Are you ready to meet God? It's a question every person in this auditorium has to answer. Our text in Luke chapter 24 verse uh, 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 said repentance towards God. Repentance and remission. That repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations. This is the command of God after his bodily resurrection. And by the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 reports, and it's written so all people in that day would know, they could check it out, that above 500 people witnessed the resurrected Savior. They actually saw him bodily after he rose from the dead. He's a risen Savior, and he lived. And it is to be preached in his name. His name is essentially synonymous with believing in him. Because one day at that name, every knee is going to bow of things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 tells us. Every knee is going to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. His name means, when you're believing in His name, that you're trusting your soul, your very being to Him. You trust His person even unto death, knowing that eternal life awaits you in glory. We look in the Old Testament, we see many of those men that were justified by faith. David was justified by faith. Abraham justified by faith. In the New Testament, these men were justified by faith. You know, most of these apostles died a martyr's death. But what did Jesus tell them before he left this earth? You'll sit with me on 12 thrones judging. See, when the Spirit left the body, it went to be with Christ. 
as happens to everyone who has received Christ as their Savior. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Acts 10, 43, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, his name is his person. Can you trust the person of Jesus Christ? Can you trust the person of God? That's what it comes down to. That through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sin. Remission is forgiveness, which Christ commanded for us to preach. And faith, you see, faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. One cannot exist without the other. True repentance is a transformation of one's mind and its attitude towards God. As a matter of fact, Jesus gave us an example of it. In Matthew chapter 21 and verses 28 through uh, 32, he gives a, a parable about a certain man that had two sons. And he came to the first and he said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. Then... He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. And he came to the second son, and he said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whither of the twain of them did the will of his father? They say unto him the first. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Boy, that's a slap in the face, isn't it? He says, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and harlots believed him. And ye, when ye seen it, repented not afterward that ye might receive him. You see, repentance is not merely a verbal and mental least common denominator statement of faith. Neither is it an experience without a genuine heart of repentance towards God. It's not repeating a prayer as if it was hocus pocus. If you say these words, you're fine. Just like they tell little kids, you got to say the magic words. And you're thinking of the magic words. These are the magic words. No, repentance is a complete change of mind that is not merely sorry for its past sins. Rather, it is entering into a personal relationship with God on a level that is equal to the commitment that you made at the marriage altar. Now, admittedly, there are some that have entered a marriage and it's become a good marriage. Others, average. Others, not a good marriage. But they stuck together and they kept their word. They stuck and they kept their word. Okay, now, Jesus gave his word and he never lies. You come to him, he'll in no wise cast out. So, it's not on him now. He's done everything. He's paid your penalty. He's paid it in full. He's done all there is to do. Now, it's up to you to do the next. 
to make that commitment to him. And when I do, I am accepted in him. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 tells us that uh, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made me accepted in the beloved. When I stand before God at judgment, I'm accepted in Jesus Christ. Remember the songs that we sang, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood and lose their guilty stains. That blood has covered my sins so that when the Father looks at me, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ and he passes over. I'm accepted in him. Man owns a business. His wife doesn't really run the business. She may go by the business from time to time, but he owns the business. But because she's his wife, it's theirs. But, although she may not run the day-to-day operations, although she may not even understand everything about it, when she comes on the property, everybody better treat the owner's wife right. If she comes on the property and says, I want something, nobody says, get it yourself, idiot. No, they're not going to say that because they want to continue to have a job. I'm accepted in the beloved. No matter what the devil says, he accuses me night and day before the God, but no matter what he says, I belong to him. I am in Christ, not by my merit, but by the grace of God. That's how it is. In Matthew, one brother said the right words, but it's the other brother who did the right thing. He's the one that's accepted because he repented of his attitude against what his father told him to do, and he went wholeheartedly to the work. But you see, he repented. But the field, the vineyard, belonged to the father. And the way I'm saved is for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. I am accepted by him. It's not by my works. As a matter of fact, pride makes us think that we earned it. Pride will make us think that we deserve it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus was talking. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What is the will of the Father? 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His will is we come to repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? So he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name have done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, 
ye that work iniquity. You see, when they were saying, look, I preached, they probably did. He says, we've cast out devils. Maybe, maybe they did. Maybe they did. Many wonderful good works. But it did not earn them heaven. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, the Bible says, in the sight of God. It did not earn heaven for any of them. They thought their works would make them acceptable. This is why the publicans and the harlots go in before them. They knew they didn't deserve it. But they knew that Jesus Christ paid the penalty on the cross for their sins. He shed his blood. He died and was buried and rose from the dead. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, when he says there were adulterers or the homosexuals, there were all kind of drunkards and everything else that were in that church that got saved, he said, such were some of you. Because when you come to him from cleansing, he cleanses you. And he gives you everlasting life. He forgave. And when he forgave, it changed their lives. It changed their lives. When he says remission of sin, that was what it means. It's forgiveness. The penalty is paid. He forgives you for he's the only one that can forgive you. And we're saved from sin's power and sin's penalty. Such were some of you. The truth is, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the truth. The truth is, for the wages of sin is death. That is, final, complete separation from God forever in the lake of fire. The truth is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The truth is, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the truth is, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin, all your sin. But the other truth is this, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You trust him with your life. And just like that surgeon at the beginning or the pilot, you don't want to trust them with your life. But you can trust your life with the one that has the power over hell and death. You do want to trust your life to the one that has never told a lie and he has paid the penalty on the cross for your sins and rose up from the dead. And you want to trust him that says that if you'll come to him, he'll in no wise cast you out. So it comes down to this. That's the truth. So why wait for a feeling? You either trust God or you don't. What is it with you? My friend... I don't want anyone in this auditorium to die without Christ and go to hell. I don't want anyone listening by radio or watching on the internet today to die and go to hell. But all I can do is present the gospel as we have today. You've got to decide. And my friend, don't be so foolish to having heard that Christ will save you, that he would save you if you come to him, to allow your pride to keep you from it. You don't have a promise for tomorrow. 
Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Are you living on feelings? Or are you going to base your eternity on the truth? It's up to you. Let's bow our heads, please.